It's podcasting time! Hello everyone and welcome to Cape Crisis, the Laser Time podcast weekly exploration of comic books, graphic novels, sequential art, and all of the media based upon that. I'm your host, Henry Gilbert, that's H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. There's the right sound effect. I'm so ashamed, but uh, I'm not ashamed to have with me two of my favorite uh, co-hosts, Brad Elston. Hi. Now I hit the fucking one. There. Ahem. And Dave. The walking Dave. Hey. Groovy. Oh, God. This is... uh, The sound thing is just not going right for Mm. me today, guys. But uh, this is going to be an exciting episode that we will remember forever. (laughs) And, and, you know, uh, there was a ton of news going on in comics. I actually did read a few things, and I haven't read any Marvel books yet. What? Uh, uh, But I do want to apologize just for being a day late on this, but we had to fit in a ton of recordings because uh, on the normal Cape Crisis Day because that was Chris's last day before his yeah. vacation. That's why there's no Chris Antista here. Sorry, everybody. He's in uh, Milwaukee. That's right. And, and But we're still going to have a normal episode where we do the superhero yeah. spotlight. We're going to talk about uh, the new events, the news in the world of comic books. And last week, we'll talk about what we've been reading and go through everybody's question of the week replies and their questions for moi Mm. all in one single episode isn't that going to be exciting we're going to start as always with the patented superhero spotlight collect your hero we've had a bunch of x-men and we've had other people who are stars of movies recently but this time i just want to do one of my all-time top two favorite comic book characters ever superman Zack Snyder. No, Pip. It's clobbering time. Ah, CM Punk. Yes, yeah, CM Punk. <laughs> I am wearing my CM Punk shirt today. <laughs> uh, no, that, that is the thing. Benjamin James Grimm, who has always been one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, not just a member of the Fantastic Four, but all over the Marvel Universe. Just such a unique individual, really defines Marvel for me. Mm. And and yeah, like you said, he has inspired people yeah. like pro wrestler CM Punk, who his shout at the ring, he would look at his wrist, pretending mm. it was a watch, thinking, what time is it? Uh, then he would look up and be like, it's clobbering time! And sometimes Paul Heyman would use around, he'd be like, oh, here's the watch. Yeah, here's <laughs> the watch. I don't know if you ever noticed in WWE games when yeah. he was in it, his mouth moved, no sound, because that is a copywritten phrase by Marvel that they could not put in a video game. It's redacted time. <laughs> it's just like, no, he's, he's just <laughs> moving his mouth, that's all. Uh, but all right, so Benjamin James Grimm first appeared in Fantastic Four number one, along with all the other Fantastic Four and Mole Man, in, on November 1961. Created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, though... You know, they share credit, and it's it's wrong to say who did what, but he is so clearly Jack Kirby's character. Mm. Jack Kirby invested so much in them that he became kind of a Jack Kirby surrogate over the years, and a lot of writers, have a future writer and artist on Fantastic Four, even added more Jack Kirby-isms to the thing mm. out of respect for the, the creator. And, like, for instance, Jack Kirby grew up as a poor as a poor Jewish kid on Delancey Street in the Bronx, which he then turned into Yancey Street, Mm -hmm. where Ben Grimm grew up. He had an older brother who had passed away as well, just as as defined Ben Grimm's early life. His grandfather's name was Ben, and he even had his own Aunt Petunia. Oh, wow. 
And not only that, but Ben Grimm was always written as Jewish or imagined as Jewish by Jack Kirby, but they never really talked much religion at all in comic books, especially in the 60s, so it wasn't really a thing. But Jack Kirby in his house had up a, a drawing of the thing dressed up for... Uh, like in rabbinical clothes with the yarmulke and all this stuff. So always to him, he was Jewish, though he wouldn't become publicly so until the 2000s. Wow. But that was more just them checking a box. Like, okay, right, let's yeah, just yeah. say, like, why why has this been an internal thing we all knew and never just said? Let's yeah. just say it. Uh, but yeah, so founding member of the FF, went to college with Reed Richards and Dr. Toom and became friends with him. And then when Reed Richards was making... Originally, an experimental spaceship to beat the Russians into space. He then got his best buddy, a World War II pilot, uh, Ben Grimm, to be the to be the man who flew the plane. This would be changed, but Ben's time in the military usually sticks around, and that is where he got his expertise as a pilot, mm. which is why he got to fly the plane on their first trip. Mm-hmm. When he went into space, along with Johnny Storm and Sue Storm and Reed, they all got pelted with with cosmic rays that transformed all of them. He got transformed into a hulking monstrosity, originally covered with kind of like scaly or bumpy skin that would later, by about 40 issues in, transform into rocks or be just drawn as rocks. But when he first appeared, it was more scaly, and he was just the ill-tempered brute of the team who, underneath it all, really had a very sensitive heart and could have his heart... He could have his feelings hurt quite a lot. And he, he was always thinking about, like... I'm a monster. Nobody loves me. And he also was written to talk like Jimmy Durante, which I think was more of a Stan Lee affectation than a Jack Kirby one. And he also always smoked cigars, which was a Jack Kirby thing as well. Into the late 90s, they kind of eventually had to be like, he can't, he can't, he's a kid's character. Like, kids can't see this guy chomping on old stogies, which I get it. You know, it's what I grew up with, with him smoking cigars, and it didn't make me want to smoke. Hmm. But that is a personal thing for me and I get it that you know, yeah. seems like very nuanced storytelling for like the early 60s comics books that three people in the Fantastic Four their lives are almost better as a result of uh, what happened <laughs> and him it's like no you're a giant rock dude who's hideous and you yeah it, it's always a curse for him and in the early stories in the Fantastic Four were usually about him being sad about being the thing him getting into fights with uh, Johnny Storm and he became the big brother of the family Reed and Sue the parents Johnny the little brother, <laughs> then the big brother. And that is that is the dynamic that always made the Fantastic Four work. He's always been a public hero, too. Everybody always has known mm-hmm. who he is. He, he even had an address that the Yancey Street gang <laughs> could send pranks to him for. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he also got in a relationship with a blind artist named Alicia Masters, who is very cliched, like, feels like a very Stanley thing, of like, the only woman that could love him is a blind artist. <laughs> yeah. She sees the heart inside. But I, there's so many great panels where he even just sounds like a loser guy today who she didn't call him at five when he thought she would, and then he's just saying... Uh, of course she didn't call me. She's probably out on the town with some new guy. And <laughs> I wouldn't rocks. And I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> I'm too hideous to be seen. Oh, poor me. Like, <laughs> I'm such a beta cook. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, uh, he started early fights with... Had fights with Namor, had fight with Doctor Doom. And also from the beginning, they set up this thing that he really wants to turn back into Ben Grimm. And Reed has varying... Uh, degrees of success with that that's something that 
they want to make it a story of like, oh, Reed's always searching for it. But in the, you know, 50 plus years of Fantastic Four comics, he's actually been reverted to Ben dozens of times, but it never sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes he chooses to change back to fight Doctor Doom like he did in the issue one in issue 38, which was one of his first normal transformations back, which they actually redid in the film. One of the better parts of the first Fantastic Four film in 2005. I don't mean the 1994 <laughs> one. Uh, <Yeah. laughs> and also... Early, early in Fantastic Four, he started a rivalry with the Hulk. And in fact, that was the first comic ever to recognize the new Marvel Universe. It was Fantastic Four number 12, where while the Fantastic Four is going through some caverns, they run into the Hulk. They don't have a fight, but this was the first time, about a month later, they would meet Spider-Man in his book. But it was the first time that they recognized Marvel heroes all exist in the same world. Mm -hmm. The publisher, they live in a shared universe, all owned by the same publisher. Though, within a year, Hulk and Thing would have their first big brawl, one of many and many, many mm -hmm. to follow. And I love Hulk Thing fights so much. Like, they're just, I mean, orange and green yeah. Yeah. slamming on each other is a fun <laughs> visual thing. But also, I love from a wrestling standpoint that, mm. or just how you tell the story of a fight. Ben's always fighting from underneath. He's always the underdog because he is the strongest and the toughest on his team, but he's never as strong or as tough as the Hulk. And so yeah. odds are always against him. He usually loses. But there's fun in watching the fight happen, even in as terrible a cartoon as the 1994 Fantastic Four cartoon. Man, that fight is pretty vicious to him. I don't believe my baby blues. Stand behind me. What? The ladies with me, Mr. Green Jeans. Ah. Girl, not belong with ugly rock thing like you. So that explains your coloring. Green would envy. Well, Pally, I don't envy what's going to happen to you. And then they have a big ass fight. Mm -hmm. I think I recorded that one off TV because <laughs> it was a thing in Hulk fight, and they were. All, I was like, maybe the first time it had been animated. I don't know. Uh, Might have been because I don't think they shared. There were tons of um. There were tons of Fantastic Four cartoons. Mm -hmm. There was one in '67. There was one in '78. But they rarely interacted with other Marvel characters in those. Yeah. And definitely not the Hulk. Like, so I think, you know, the Hulk also had his own cartoons, but the thing wasn't in those. But then they had the, in 94, the syndicated Marvel superhero block of cartoons, yeah. which included Hulk. And the Hulk had a cartoon, the FF had a cartoon, so they had a crossover cartoon. Yeah, and Iron Man as well. Like, there was some crossover mm. with that, too. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just always love their fights. Yeah. It's, it's so awesome. The one thing, like the one thing that isn't green on the Hulk in that scene is his, his jeans. <laughs> uh, well, so why do you call them green jeans? So after you know all of the '60s, pretty much written by Lee and Kirby and their adventures with the Inhumans, fighting Galactus, mm -hmm. him getting transformed and untransformed, all that stuff. That pretty much normal for the thing. It takes us into the mid '70s where. Ben is briefly replaced on the team by Luke Cage when he loses his powers, but uh, then he quickly gets them back. That's when also Thing got his first true solo book, though actually I guess it wasn't a solo book. It was Marvel 2-in-1. Mm -hmm. From 1974 to 1983 it was published, 100 issues, and it was... It was so funny to think back, like, there was already Marvel Team-Up. The Spider-Man teams mm -hmm. up with another character book, which was a monthly thing. They then decided, no, Thing's going to team up with somebody every month, too. And as a kid who bought comics from the 25-cent bin, those were always the ones that excited me most. Because they're, like, they're usually a one-off story. They are 
unattached to most continuity, and you get two heroes for the price of one. Wow. For 25 cents, I can see the thing team up with Iron Man. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> and sure, they were dated, but they were they were fun and stupid. Yeah. And, and it ran for 100 issues. 100 issues. And it also set up a precedent for time travel in the Marvel Universe, mm. where in an issue that ended up being more important than it seemed to be, Thing goes back in time to prevent himself from becoming the Thing. And he does it. And he succeeds. And then comes back to now and finds out everything's still the same. And that's when Reed tells him a once true fact pre-Bendis fucking with time travel of Marvel. But a once true fact of Marvel time travel. Which is, you can go back and try to change the past, but that only creates an alternate timeline. This past is immutable by time travel. Right. Uh, But anyway... So that took him through some some more fun adventures. And then we're at Secret Wars in the mid-80s, where all of the Fantastic Fours brought brought to Battleworld except for Sue Storm, and along with a bunch of other superheroes. And they fight a bunch of supervillains all under the watchful eye of the Beyonder. It's a great series. Mm -hmm. Uh, it. It is so much fun. It is, I mean, it's very cartoonish. It's very colorful and silly, and it was made to sell toys. Yeah, but it was their first big event, more yeah, or less. It was, and it was great. And as far as the thing goes, his powers were shifting around the whole time he was on Battleworld. And by the end of it, he finds out on Battleworld he can control his transformation, something he's never been able to do. And he decides, ah, all you superheroes can go back. I'm staying here. Mm-hmm. Which was weird, because like, so you're just going to be alone on this planet like with all these weird creatures mm. but he stays she hulk becomes a new member of the fantastic four in her his place and that's when the new thing book kind of takes off and it's all about his adventures on battle world but the unfortunate thing he finds out is the reason he can control it there is because it's basically a wish fulfillment land and it right. turns into like this almost alice in wonderland type story that battle world only existed because the Beyonder created it for all those superheroes. And in because when there's only one superhero there, it gives all of its wish fulfillment to him. But the second he leaves, it'll explode. Yeah. And then he finally is like, well, I can't live a lie anymore. I'm going back. Mm-hmm. When he goes back, he finds out that Johnny Storm had gotten with Alicia Masters. And now oh. they're a couple and they're going to get married. Jeez. And on top of that... Uh, he's like, well, screw this. I'm going to go back to the West. I'm going to go to the West Coast Avengers. I'll try that out. Doesn't really stick. He then eventually rejoins the team. And on the plus side for him, it would later be revealed that Alicia Masters was actually a scrawl named Leela the entire time. Briefly on the team, Reed Richards and Sue Storm leave. And he adds to the team She-Thing, who gets uh, transformed in a similar way to him. Well, meanwhile, he gets extra transformed by yeah. Cosmic Rays, which is a look Brett and I are very used to just from reading Spider-Man comics at the time. Yeah. Because in Spider-Man 300, Spider-Man drops off the symbiote to the thing. And the thing, I thought the thing was just drawn wrong by yeah. Todd McFarlane. I was like, why do you, why do you draw him incredibly jaggy and yeah. like craggy? Like, like huge, uh, just extra growths on him and like yeah. looked really like battle ready. And It was ridiculous. It was, it was really silly looking. And then that, that barely lasts though, because in a couple years he then reverts back to human and quits the team. But then in Fantastic Four 350, March 1991, he rejoins the team and is back to his classic Rocky look. And then the 90s are also punctuated by Wolverine clawing his face in yes. Fantastic Four 374, 1993, 
March. It left him with a scar on his face, and then he wore this helmet that had actually been designed for him in issue two of Fantastic Four, but he never wore it. Now he's like, I'm so ugly. And it seems weird that, like, he just completely forgave that. He's just like, eh, so he scratched my face. Who cares? But I felt so bad. Like, I looked at the panel again, like, Wolverine, like, just slash right in his face. But it got fixed by an idiot character named Hyperstorm, who's like... (laughs) So 90s and useless, yeah, not even yeah, worth yeah. talking about. Uh, then they end up in the Heroes Reborn universe after the Onslaught storyline where they're drawn by Jim Lee and they look really great. Not great comics, but drawn very well. Uh, then they come back into Heroes Return and they have a nice little run where Thing is trying to transform in and out again. Uh, then J. Michael Straczynski gets on the book and while it's not a great run, he does make interesting things happen for the thing where he gets super rich. He's given all the money that was in a trust fund by Reed, and so he becomes rich, and that leads to one of my all-time favorite runs on a thing book, the eight issues of the thing, Idol of Millions, written by Dan Slott, hmm. where the thing is having a lot of kind of like Marvel two-in-one style adventures. And and this is in the lead-up to Civil War, and the thing's book by Dan Slott is like the last vestige of Oh, Marvel's fun. Like, yeah. Marvel can be fun and silly and and have a bunch of cool fights, right? Right? And it even has, like, the issue that I Dan Slott wrote as, this is the last fun issue when <laughs> Civil War will make it no fun anymore, where they all play poker. And it's just all the heroes hanging out playing poker instead of trying to kill each other. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and that's also where he gets a bar mitzvah. Because he said he's been thing for 13 years. He's never had a bar mitzvah. And so he's going to now do it as as the thing, as a celebration of him becoming a man in his second life. And it's, it's really beautiful. And this was just, uh, you know, three years after he comes out of the closet as a Jewish character. Uh, then that leads into Civil War where he's kind of a... I guess he's a bystander. He's neutral. Like, he's just a guy like, I'm just helping people. I'm to the side. I ain't picking a... The, I pick any to side mm-hmm. type dude. Then he gets killed by Doctor Doom, only to be resurrected by God slash Jack Kirby, yeah. who just draws him back. Like, eh, you're better now. Yeah, and it's it's such a Deus Ex Machina, but it's it's so sweet. I can't hate on it. Yeah, I remember that. It was good. And uh, then that leads to World War Hulk, where he kind of just gets beaten. Everybody gets beaten up by Hulk in that story, thing included. And it it wasn't a great fight per se, but I did love how it was drawn because. John Romita Jr. is one of my favorite Spider-Man artists. He's not so good with drawing people with faces, mm. with normal faces. Great at drawing Spider-Man and very underrated, I think, for drawing the thing. Mm. I, I love, I think he has like a very sharp thing brow he draws on the thing. Mm. And I really like it. Uh, but so then the thing briefly joined the new Avengers while also being on the Fantastic Four. Then in the storyline Fear itself, he gets he's one of the people, the worthy. He gets possessed by Norse demons and has another pretty cool Hulk fight. Then he becomes part of a wall in Secret Wars. Yeah. And then the Fantastic Four ends because uh, because Marvel doesn't own the rights. Marvel made a bad choice in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> in nineteen ninety, Stanley signed a contract he shouldn't have, and that's <laughs> that's where we are now. And so. So the Fantastic Four disbands, though the thing survives Secret War, unlike Reed and Sue and the kids who are just in outer space being gods, kind of. And uh, that leads to Ben Grimm at least having a really fun new career for himself, which is where he goes into outer space. He's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a spaceship pilot. That was my job before I became the thing. 
So I'm going to fly this <laughs> ship into space. And also, I'm surrounded by all these weird aliens, so I'm not a freak anymore. Yeah. This is really <laughs> weird for him, but it's great. And that's in the current Guardians of the Galaxy. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, who I think has a real good handle on the thing as well. Mm. And uh, that's also where they did a recent story where they pulled up in the 80s. He They had like this one-off story where he became like basically the pro wrestling champion of the yeah. out, of outer space. And they resumed it. And as a wrestling fan slash comic book nerd who loves the thing, I love seeing that. Yeah. More The more of that, the better. Uh, so yeah, when it comes to him outside of comics... He, like I said, 1967, 1978, Fantastic Four cartoons. Even more ridiculously was the 1979 very short-lived Thing cartoons from Hanna-Barbera, which aired on Saturday mornings with Fred and Barney Flintstones cartoons in a block called Fred and Barney Meet the Thing, which aside from the opening, they never meet the thing. It is not a crossover show. And it recast the thing as... Basically, another of the millions of Hanna-Barbera teenagers who go on stupid adventures. And uh, here's a little bit of him. Thing ring, do your thing! I I hate this already. Then a bunch of rocks fly on his body of this scrawny teenager. And then he's... I'm gonna go for a new track record. (laughs) He's running on train tracks. And it's the same music they play in everything. Like, did like that's the Super Friends music. That's Super Friends. Was he doing that for a specific reason? Because it sounded look it looked like he would just like have caused a lot of whiplash to the train. (laughs) Well, it's a runaway train. You got to stop it. Where uh, like was this before? After Super Friends was huge, big. It was seventy nine. So Super Friends and the Hulk TV show were they were in full effect. This was the late seventies boom of superheroes on television. It's just weird that like they. Marvel and DC, like that Hanna Barbera, back. Oh yeah, we can get a, we can, of all the things we could color and make a cartoon of, we'll do the thing. I'm what I'm guessing is that uh, and that, you know, that everyone was cool with that. Like, yeah, we have this huge popular DC show. We'll also do him. It came. It came a year after the '78 Fantastic Four cartoon, which of course featured Herbie the robot right. instead of uh, instead of Human Torch. And I'm wondering if Hanna Barbera, being a very like economical right. uh, group, that they just said. Oh yeah, we got this design for the thing already. Yeah. Let's just make up a bunch of other stupid teenagers and <laughs> and have him turn into that. And so he's just this scrawny kid named Benjamin Benji Grimm uh-huh. who has his thing ring, puts it together, it transforms God. into the thing. Fuck that. And you'd think the episode about him fighting the Sasquatch would be fun. Really isn't. It really is just like it's the same doofy like right. sub jabberjaw lever color tunes. M- move on. I still watched all of them because so the, I could see the thing on television. Right. But uh, in in the last about decade or so, he's been played by David Boat or Boat. I am not sure how to pronounce it. It's spelled <laughs> like it's spelled like Boat, but he's been the consistent voice in his many appearances in Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk, Agents of Smash. The Avengers show, but he's still kind of a side guy right. because I never really feel like they're kind of undervaluing yeah, him. Of course, though it's not like the mutants. Like there's no X Men on any yeah. of those shows. Actually, Wolverine appears from time to time. When it comes to live action, aside from the 1994 film that basically didn't happen, is not worth mentioning. It's I mean, it's fine. We rewatched it and it was like on point. Mm-hmm. Like no budget. 
It had absolutely no money, but it knew what it was making. It knew what it was making, and the characterizations were all pretty accurate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the most accurate characterizations of any Fantastic Four. Uh, that's what I was stunned by. Like, it's a bad movie if you look at it from certain angles, but it's also like they did a lot better work with much less. Yes, way anyway. less. Anyway. Uh, but he was played most famously by Michael Chiklis in the 2005 and 2007 uh, Fantastic Four films. And he and Chris Evans as Human Torch are the only yeah. really salvageable parts of those. They're great. They're both great. Like uh, Michael Chiklis, who is like a Greek guy from Boston, very different from a Jewish guy from the Bronx, but he still does a very good job. He with embodies it. the thing well. Yeah. It's a very strange choice to have him be like. They chose to not be a physical, to be of an effect, but instead be in, uh, like, him buried under latex the entire yeah. film. Felt so bad for him watching it, but I think it at least worked from an acting standpoint that you yeah. got better acting out of it because you compare it to the thing who was non existent in the 2015 Fantastic Four film, who was just, like, a dude who stood <laughs> with everybody else. Like, oh, it was awful. And he had no penis in that. Like, he was just. <laughs> He was just a rock, a pile of rocks. That fucking movie. We there's going to be some funny news about that movie later in the in the podcast. But uh, yeah, Jamie Bell played him to some effect, but it really wasn't that great. And uh, then the things play, appeared in a number of video games. Though usually is just one of many choosable bruisers yeah. in games like Lego Marvel, Marvel Heroes Online, the Ultimate Alliance games. And there were some Fantastic Four movie games, though, really, really bad. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I always wished he had been in any of the Capcom fighting games. Yeah, they always... Uh, but they've already got Hulk and Juggernaut. Yeah, so. so his place is tough because you'll never beat Hulk for popularity, and Juggernaut is also, like, among people who know video games. The 90s has a long shadow, and Juggernaut's presence in those games casts a long shadow. But the closest you can get is Super Scroll in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. You will at least yeah. see Thing arms and the, the rock effect on him. I do like that. And you'll also see She-Hulk in a Fantastic Four costume. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of it for the thing. I He is... I just It always spoke <laughs> to me as somebody who has issues with their own self-esteem and but who tries to do their best and like I just uh, it's what I well, love as about a fellow him. rock monster as well, as a rock monster <laughs> and he is like the classic Marvel flawed hero of like he can do all this stuff but it's what's inside that it really causes him pain yeah it's, it's and he's just, just, yeah. In, endeared himself to a new uh, generation of comedy nerds thanks to Arrested Development <laughs> yeah. that's true and he needs to get his rocks off <laughs> <laughs> But also, like he, he and he and Spider Man are both two characters that, because of all their two and ones and team ups and wacky adventures, like they're the kind of character that works in almost any situation. Yeah. Like they can be in a dead serious story, they can be in a pure comedy, and they've met everybody. Yeah, like, and they've met yeah. everybody. They're such versatile guys. That's yeah. that's what I love about them. All right, so that is a superhero spotlight. Select your hero. Ah, uh, what a fun, what a fun way to start the episode. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the news, the big events in news this week, including a pretty funny quote about the making of the Fantastic Four film, and news on a new superhero video game. Are you already tired of 2016? Jump into the past with 302010, our weekly pop culture time machine podcast. Here's something you may remember from 1996. 
in case you don't know what Kinder the Embraced is, it's based on the uh, White Wolf tabletop RPG series Vampire the Masquerade. Oh. Can you Table- hold these books so I can knock them on the ground? <laughs> is tabletop <laughs> RPGs too far for no, you? No, talk, no, no. Some of my no, friends I, played this stuff. No, I did, yeah. I did find it impenetrable. It's, I mean, I was well, D&D. It's fine. They made Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Awakening. <laughs> this uh, is, can you say this like Troy McClure, please? <laughs> these are just <laughs> random words and a- adjectives. Were, werewolf the Apocalypse. Zombie the Simmering. <laughs> well, no, they were... They were Frankenstein the Lombard. <laughs> All right, but fine. Enough about. Kindred. I never get to make fun of anybody for being a nerd. If you could see the room we're in right now, <laughs> there is uh, a alphabetized Disney shelf right behind me. Uh, well, yeah, did your did your hubby play these games? Uh, like he did actually, and my my boyfriend at the time did. I went to one party. Ooh, they were playing. Have a type. She does have a type. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> fucking losers. <laughs> <laughs> That's 302010, a weekly look at what happened in pop culture 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, every Thursday right here on the Laser Time Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the wonderful and very important news segment. There's been a lot of new events in the world of comic books this week, but I want to start with one of my favorite quotes I read today. So, Toby Kebbell, who is a very good and accomplished uh, actor and especially CG actor uh, on the level of Andy Serkis, he played Koba to great effect in the in the Rise of the Planet of the Apes movie. But most recently, he was he's in the Warcraft film. Mm-hmm. And that means it's his first opportunity to be asked questions about the Fantastic Four <laughs> movie, which there's so... I mean, there's like a, there's probably a whole book of stories about the making of that yeah. film. And so he played Dr. Doom in it, or did he? Because this was the question about the film, and he, he definitely followed the Josh Trank track of saying, there was a really good movie in this, but you'll never see it because... It got hacked to pieces on its way to the theater. But this was my favorite quote about him being Dr. Doom in the film. Unfortunately, I played Doom in three points. Walking down a corridor, killing the doctor, and getting into the time machine, and lying on that bench. They were the only times I played Doom. Everything else was some other guy on some other day doing (laughs) some other thing. Wow. I was infuriated that he was allowed to limp like that. It was so... You weren't even seeing him when he's Doctor Doom. All that I, that never even occurred to me. Like, oh yeah, they didn't even get Toby. What they got back the people they had to get back to film them. Like, uh, what I mean, you know, the live action people like Telfer and Michael B. Jordan. Uh-huh. But for a CG creation like Doctor Doom, they don't got to bring back Toby Kebbell. Just right. get get anybody for these right. extra things. And so that I never even thought how frustrating that would be as a guy who prides himself on such a great performance that. As far as we knew, it was him doing everything as CG Doctor Doom, and yeah. it wasn't. It's, well, I've still never seen it, so. And you know, you know, you never need to. Yeah. Like, unless you need a cure for insomnia one night. Yeah. Then no. I, I, <laughs> you sleep I, I pretty soundly. Take care of that. Uh, but so, in the bigger news this week, uh, ahead of E3, either leaked out or planned to be released that time anyway, Injustice 2 right. got announced. Yeah. A sequel to Injustice, a really good game that, like, I still. It's such strange branding, and now it's like when they called it the first time, I was like, "Well, that's a fine one-off, but maybe call the next one Justice League Fights or whatever." But it's Injustice Two again, 
and uh, the big additions to it are characters like Supergirl is in it now, Gorilla Grodd will be in it, as is Top Red Lantern Atrocitus. God, the Atrocitus. And there's going to be customizable armor where they say, like, you're going to have... It's going to allow you to make the fighter your own each time, which sounds kind of similar to Immortal Kombat X. It yeah. wasn't 10, guys. Immortal Kombat X. Uh, which in, they'll retcon later to be 10 at yes. some point in the future. Uh, but in that, they had very... Each character had a specific fighting style. Like, you could kind of swap them. Like, there was somebody who was kind of a master blaster type that you could fight with a person on their back, and you could choose to fight without that person on your mm-hmm. back. And you'd have totally different moves based on that. So... I, I'm looking forward to that kind of variability, and also just to be able to play as Gorilla Grodd. And if they're mm. already open up Gorilla Grodd, like what other crazy yeah. ass characters are going to be in this game? Yeah. The first Injustice had a really good lineup already, and then when you include a DLC that had Scorpion in it, that's that's nuts. Uh, so we got Suicide Squad has been officially rated PG-13, and huh. as, as if there was any doubt. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they went the R-rated cut route that Batman vs Superman is. Yeah, remember everybody? There's an R-rated version of that movie. I think it'll be out uh, pretty soon, and you can buy an eighty-dollar <laughs> version with a statue of Superman. Uh, though, who needs that Superman? Because Supergirl, the TV show, is casting their own Superman. Oh wow! So in the first season of Supergirl, it was very clear they were told. Superman can exist in this world, and you can show him blurrily for 30 seconds at most. But that's it. He is not in that show at all in the first season. But now in the second season, they are casting a Superman who will be a full-fledged character. That's cool. In costume, who will be on the show. And so... So is it that, therefore, part of Flash, theoretically, and Arrow yeah. and all Well, that. it is a secondary universe to Fla- the Arrowverse. Arrowverse is just Flash and Arrow... When Flash was on Supergirl, he went between universes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, another Superman. And that people are saying that that seems like it is a Jeff Johns kind of move. That Jeff Johns, now that he has a much more powerful role in DC films and television, that he can just say, it's we can have multiple Supermans. Especially when there's another Superman who's dead in the movies anyway. So fuck it. (laughs) Let's have this Superman on screen. Pro wrestler Sheamus really wants to be Venom. Did you guys yeah. see this? I saw that, but uh, man, he he's not wrong that like he was like, oh, Topher Grace. Topher you know, Grace no, did suck. Nothing against him, but you know, you do not embody Eddie Brock, and yeah. I agree, he did not. And yeah, physically, sure, Sheamus might, but like, you're too Sheamus. Well, the thing with him with Eddie Brock, like. Eddie Brock can't be... Sheamus can look like his wrestling character when playing Rocksteady. Or, it's Rocksteady, right? Yes. He's Rocksteady. He can look like his wrestling character when playing Rocksteady because he's going to transform anyway. Yeah. But Eddie Brock, before he becomes Venom, cannot have a red mohawk and red handlebar mustache. That's too ridiculous. Like, no normal person walks around like that. I mean, I'm sure they would, for the purposes of... of, If he were cast on that level, I'm sure even Vince McMahon would be like, yeah, you can just dye your hair or get get, get rid of your look and disappear for six months from wrestling. Who cares? Or just shave your face, wear a wig, and then just grow back a beard. You can do that. Yeah, like, I would buy him that, but it's also, like, I mean... I'd love to hear him without an Irish accent. Just yeah, trying without if he it. could even try. But, uh, but when he it has comes, the physicality yeah. to be Venom. Venom is a hulking muscle He's man. supposed to be huge. When like it comes to Venom, there's never going to be a better one than Michael Jai White. This Though, speaking of ripped superheroes or actors, J.K. Simmons oh my God. shared some pics of him Fuck. getting into shape like... 
One, you don't have... Why do you have to be in this creative shape to play Commissioner Gordon? It's like, Commissioner Gordon is fit and capable, yes. I agree, but he's not... Dude, you can be a power lifter and go win some lifting yeah. competition. Like, <laughs> he's mean, not that. There's been some storylines where, like, well, in recent, Gordon's been... In recent yeah. years, Gordon became Batman yeah. and got sure. fucking toned and ripped, man. But right, but, like, toned and ripped, like... That picture <laughs> looks insane. Yes. Like his arms are massive. It's like and it's like, you, where it's like, you're too old. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's, get, he's getting his lift on, so, you know, it's bulger more than usual. If you saw him walking around, it wouldn't maybe be that Maybe he's all swolled up. From yeah, he's out, Parker. Swole. He's swole. But, though, I told this story on the stream that uh, if, when filming Amazing Spider-Man 2, they had, or sorry, when filming Spider-Man 2, they filmed the scene where he, like, has stolen the Spider-Man suit and puts it on and is, like, making fun of it. And they meant it to be a jokey scene, but they cut it from the movie because when he's in the skin-tight costume, you're only distracted by how fucking fit <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson is. You're like, oh, this isn't funny. Like, he's just a, a very well-muscular man. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I have Mr. Always, Raimi, I'm too, just too jacked. I've always had a personal, because, like, the, the characterization of Peter Parker is always such that, like, I really identified with it as a teenager and a kid. Uh-huh. Because, like, I'm about the same height and weight of Peter Parker-ish. Yeah. And short, dark hair. And so I'd always, like, I've, I would always search for, like, what's a Spider-Man costume I can wear that I will look <laughs> good in? And then I fill out of a tree dressed as him. Uh, well, I, I do, like, you know, in a Scarlet Spider suit, it gives you some coverage. You it don't was, have to have the yeah. upper body as good yeah. as... Oh, yeah. It, well, yeah. And luckily, they're never so form-fitting that you could see, like, lack of definition on my body. <laughs> but it was more just, like... I don't know. I could never dress up. It was. It seemed like an attainable goal. I could never dress up as Captain America and look uh, in the mirror and be like, that's Cap. That's fucking not happening. <laughs> I can't do that with Doom or Thing. I guess Doom, if you made a really good suit, you could buy it for a second. But it's rare that Spidey's drawn all that. Much. Yeah, he's usually not drawn ripped and muscular. It's just like, yeah, he's slender and, you know, the, the costume fits him well. And mm-hmm. sometimes he's pretty jacked, depending on the artist. But yeah. I've always enjoyed finding a costume. Uh, I finally threw it away and I took a picture because I wore it many years for Halloween. Uh, okay. And uh, took that picture where I threw it in a dumpster finally and faked the uh, <laughs> Spider-Man No More. Uh, that's great. I had it hanging out of the that's dumpster. Perfect. It was good. Uh, you know, I remember a story of the, the Venture Brothers creators. They talked about going to Comic-Con once and seeing the perfect spot. Like, like, this Spider-Man was the best cosplay ever. Like, well, he looks all right. They're like, no, look at his ass. That is the perfect <laughs> Spider-Man ass. Everybody has a bad ass to be Spider-Man. <laughs> But this one had a good ass. Wow. Um, I wasn't grading that. I couldn't see. So. so there's a new Josie and the Pussycats book announced. I'm really excited about that. It's going to be written by, um, well, co-written by Marguerite Bennett, who is one of my favorite up-and-coming writers. She does DC Bombshells. Well, I don't even call her up-and-coming anymore. But she's having a great run on DC Bombshells. Also did the um, Angela, Angela Leader of Hell book, Queen of Hell book, which I really enjoyed. And so her doing Josie and the Pussycats, great, great start. And it's just another part of, like, Archie doing good comic books and just mm-hmm. hiring high-level talent to make good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Meanwhile, at IDW, some people are excited. Some people are a little bummed about this. There's a thing going on there called Revolution, which is going to be uniting all their Hasbro brands into a shared universe. Transformers, G.I. Joe, and now it's going to go downhill. Rom, Microdots, Mask, and Action Man are all going to be set in the same shared universe like Marvel or DC would be. And while that's interesting, I know some Transformers fans are a little annoyed at this 
because they feel that it's going to restrict Transformers who have been doing some crazy ass shit in the more than meets the eye books that are going on, mm. which involves like going way into the future, characters dying and, and being reborn, people going into outer space and finding all these weird Transformers. Like they, they fear that that's the kind of stuff that they won't be able to do when they're having to follow the reality of GI Joe or whatever the fuck Rom is doing. <laughs> Well, it's the universe, so uh, I don't think, like, the idea that, oh, no, Daredevil has to inhabit the same universe as Corsair, like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't really limit them. Yeah. Like, there, yeah, the Shi'ar Empire can exist pretty yeah. separate from the Daily Bugle. Yeah, it's like, it's fine. Like, they'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but that's all the big news this week. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been reading and your questions for me and your answers to last week's question of the week. on Cheap Popcast, the unprofessional podcast about professional wrestling. I feel like we're over that hump now. I don't with, think so. With man. AJ. I don't think He's got to get at least feels. one win over John Cena, and I just hope it's not like a Wyatt style, like I mean, everybody had to help. Yeah. I mean, that's what he has the fucking club for. They yeah. are going to do that. All right, as long as they don't have a little kid that sings in the club. Oh, my God. That was uh. that played on John Cena's fear of having children because he doesn't yeah. want them. <laughs> I wonder if it's really just because he's buried so many Make-A-Wish kids yeah. and he's just like, I can't have a child. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Uh. Listen to Cheap Popcast on the Laser Time Network and on iTunes and on the internet every Friday morning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the break of Cape Crisis, and I thank you all for listening, as always. This has been very fun to do for me, and it's all through the support of you fans, whether you're tweeting at me, commenting on this episode, asking questions, replying to Question of the Week, or supporting us through patreon.com slash lasertime. All those things are super duper helpful and have made Cape Crisis a great, great time for me. Also, I want to mention that uh, I missed this in the news, but let's talk about it now. Norman Reedus, a.k.a. Daryl on Walking Dead, is campaigning now to be ghostwriter for Marvel now that Marvel has back the character. And I think that is a great idea. I think he has just the right level of like greasy white trashiness to fit the life of either Danny Ketch or Johnny Blaze. Plus, he has the kind of, you know, brooding style that would fit a man who bursts into flames and fights demons across the highways. It's great, great fun. Also, if you want to support Cape Crisis and the rest of LazerTimePodcast.com, but you're not a member of Patreon.com slash LazerTime, you can also buy things through Amazon on our site, and a little bit of money gets kicked back our way. That includes any comics we suggest on the episode page, like this week's Hank's Corner pick of the week after talking all about it in the superhero spotlight i had to go home and immediately reread my thing idol of millions collection written by dan slot with art by andrea devito and kieran dwyer it's a, one of my all-time favorite comic books so fun so referential so exciting i just love it so very very much you should pick it up for yourself which you can do through the links on this week's episode page on lasertimepodcast.com again thank you all very very much for listening and now back to the rest of the show
Avengers Assemble! And welcome back to the third and final segment of this week's Cape Crisis. And uh, let's quickly get into what have you been reading, because I've read a few books this week. I uh, read Howard the Duck number eight. I want to mention that one first because it uh, was getting a bunch of news, because in it he hooks back up with his old girlfriend, or he meets his old girlfriend from the 70s we hadn't seen in a very long time, who was played by Leah Thompson in the horrible film. And at the end of the issue, which is just part one, it is a cliffhanger where Leah Thompson appears <laughs> and wants his help. And so they're acknowledging the Howard the Duck movie wow. in that world. And they got Leah Thompson's permission to be in the book. And they actually had like press with her and stuff of her saying like, I'm totally cool with this. I, I've had a crazy career and I'm not ashamed of any of it. Well, Though I bet if you asked her about the film Casual Sex that she <laughs> was in with uh, Andrew Dice Clay and... Um, the blonde, crazy, conservative lady from SNL. What was her name? Oh, Victoria Jackson. Yeah, Victoria Jackson. Bet you wouldn't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as whatever gets us closest to a Caroline in the City comic book, I'm all for. <laughs> her and uh, Drew. <laughs> I heard that, yeah. No, Gil? No, Drew was her, like, the, the dumb boyfriend. And then yeah. she had the boyfriend who was her artist. Yeah, the, the artist book. guy. Yeah, yeah, the Nevish nerd guy. Yeah. Uh, I read The Fix number three, which is currently one of my favorite books at, Mar- uh, at Image. Written by Nick Spencer, art by Stephen Lieber, the team behind Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And it is a very funny, violent, Hollywood meets crime parody. It is mm. so funny. I fucking love it. And the more I see the little dog pretzels in it, I am falling in love with him more and more each time. I got to tell you guys again, and you're only at issue three, The Fix. The first three issues, so good. So very funny. Then when it comes to DC, I read a couple of DC books. One... Action Comics number 957, in case you didn't know, as part of Rebirth, they reverted to the original numbering for Action and Detective. Big surprise. Yeah, though, I wish I could just go back in time five years and say, then why, like, don't uh, don't change it then? Like, you, I'm pretty sure there's an episode we could go back and find one of us, especially me, going like, they'll undo this. I know. Like, of I, course they will. Yeah, like, but when they get close to 1,000, they won't be able to resist. But the sad thing is that, like, it had never, they were the one... They were the one that had never been unchanged. Yeah, like, that's true. It, action and Detective, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America, Fantastic yeah. Four, all of them renumbered to get the big thing. And that's fine. I like seeing a big number 600. Though you also know, like, well, they're never going to get to 610. And they'll just restart yeah, at yeah. one. But uh, it made me sad that we'd never get to a legit Action Comics 1000. They had, sure. to, they had to do renumbering. But anyway, but beyond the number on the issue, it was a really interesting book where, you know, uh, the pre-Flashpoint Superman who is trying to hide out in the world of current day dead Superman sees that Lex Luthor has put on the Superman costume and has proclaimed himself to be the new Superman of Metropolis and that pulls pulls Superman out of retirement and he dresses up like hey fuck you Lex I'm Superman Mm. and then they get in a fight where they're both saying like no you're the bad one no you're the bad one and Mm. This is the Lex who tried to be better. Like, this was the Lex who had led the Justice League at one point. So, I wonder if if this is just Superman saying, like, I've met every Lex Luthor and you're all awful. Mm. And this Lex Luthor saying, like, no, I'm not. I'm the good one. Mm. And there's an interesting, uh, there's also an interesting twist at the end of the issue. I really enjoyed it. 
I'm enjoying Rebirth so far, as I enjoyed the Flash issue of Rebirth. Uh, Flash Rebirth number one, where they get a little more personal into his reconnection with Wally, which we found in the Rebirth book, mm -hmm. as well as a little bit more explanation of the Watchmen stuff that gets mentioned in Rebirth that Wally knew about, and the finding of the smiley face button that Batman right. had. They, they have some conversation about Bat that, and there's this funny, there's this really interesting bit in there that has this kind of line that I love in comic books that they feel like they lose sight of sometimes, where... They're explaining a character in just a one-off discussion of plot where they say Batman knows what's going on, but he maybe wants to keep this between the two of us and not tell the Justice League, even though he hates that. As much as Batman loves secrets, he hates lying. Mm. I was like, oh, that's a beautiful, like, yeah. that's a great way to cast this Batman specifically. Yeah. That he, he loves secrets, he loves finding secrets and investigating stuff, hates lying to people's face. That he's yeah. an honest man in a world of darkness. Yes. But that's all the stuff I read this week. Uh, I, I did mean to read Poe Dameron 3, but I have not yet, so apologies. But what about you two? Well, speaking of Poe Dameron, I did watch uh, the new X-Men movie. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, we had, a, we had an, another chat about that. A lot of people, most people in the comments were either saying they pretty much agreed with us that it was not all it was cracked up to be. The other said that they had a similar expectations of Chris of very low expectations yeah. and then fine with what they saw. I mean, I think I would I would fit, fit more in Chris's camp where like didn't have any expectations really. I kind of forgot most of like the few recent movies just cuz they're, they're so on that. they're all over the place yeah. like uh was it the last one that had like Days of Future Past Yeah, which which travel. had two different timelines and my yep. it just scrambled my brain. Like even seeing Wolverine in that movie I'm like, well, I forgot what the where like were where you were last? you? Yeah, what yeah. happened to you? Which, uh, that also sucked that that was spoiled by me right now, but... Uh, you mean in the trailers? In the trailers. Like, that would have been a great moment to just happen, but... Uh, trailers spoil, spoil everything. I think you've even had interviews with PR people just saying that it won't... Dis the spoilers in the trailer won't discourage people who would be upset about them from going yeah. to see the movie in most cases, while meanwhile it will get people to see yeah. a movie they didn't see before. So from their angle, it's a no-lose situation. Yeah. Just like the last movie, actually, but this movie more kind of rests on the shoulders of Quicksilver, and like, yes. I re like he was great, and I want him to do a solo movie like ASAP. I think he's good in small doses, though. I, mm. I don't know, but uh, but so you saw that? that any other? Any other no, that's stuff? it. I, yeah, I, I, I think I've got like two more weeks left on my uh, Comicsology Unlimited, so I got oh, to get yeah. cracking on that. Get some, get some more use out yeah. of that at least, Brett. No, I haven't had any time to read anything. That's cool. Yeah. I understand. You've been a busy guy. <laughs> but all right, let's talk about then your questions for me. And I mean you, the audience, not uh, Brent and Dave. <laughs> Ask Hank. It's the Ask Hank segment. Brendolf asks, One time when I was working as an extra, I brought the first volume of Saga with me to read. Was enjoying my time with it until I saw a big splash page of a sex scene and immediately felt awkward reading it in public and quietly put it away in my bag. What scene in a comic made you feel awkward reading it in public? You know, honestly, the, the, the dirtier it is, the more it at least feels like it's justified. Though, I guess I did feel a little weird reading um, some of the recent-ish Punisher Max series yeah. by Jason Aaron, which yeah. is just so obscenely violent, like cartoonish. Well, I don't want to say cartoonish because it's like, it's grisly, but it's just to such excess that it is cartoonish. That definitely made me feel a little awkward, though the most awkward I felt reading a comic in public was, 
a few years ago and I was reading just a Spider-Man comic, a physical Spider-Man comic at a BART station, uh, at a train station. And a person just walked by and said, you shouldn't be reading that. Jesus. Like you're like implying to me, I heard you're a big loser, man. (laughs) Reading a comic book, Spider-Man comic. See you later. They just walked by and, you know, I, I definitely told myself, ah, they're just they're just being an asshole. But it's still, it's one of those things that stuck with me still, obviously. As it's I'm like, well, we're both it. here waiting for the same train, yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, what about your shoes? A kid would wear those shoes or <laughs> something like that. I, I, comeback still hasn't come to me even now. <laughs> <laughs> the jerk store called and they're running out of you. Either of you guys feel embarrassment? I know, Dave, you've mentioned before reading uh, humans. Yeah, and, and there is a two-page, well, actually a couple spreads, uh, to use that term very yeah. loosely, uh, of a lot a lot of sex scenes, uh, penetration, oral sex, all involving monkeys. <laughs> They're monkeys that are human-like, very human-like, but uh, still. Baka is Dumb said, uh, after watching the One Piece stream... Thought of this one. How do you keep straight all the different runs of single characters or teams when you're reading after all these reboots? I'm familiar with X-Men from the 90s cartoon, but the superhero spotlight really feels like a gobbledygook and openly contradicts the stories. Do you even bother keeping up with all the different works in your head, as the superhero spotlight suggests, or is it not worth the effort? So, in superhero spotlights, part of the fun for me, especially in the mutant ones and DC ones, is to say, well, and then this thing happened, but it didn't matter. And then this thing yeah. happened, and it got undone. If and you then- read, yeah, if you read any comic, like especially American comics, mm-hmm. well, Western comics, like you just roll with it. Like there's status quos that last for certain amounts of time, and then they don't, and then they matter again all of a sudden, and yeah. then they don't again, and then pieces of them do, and huge things happen to this character, and that's why when we're in the modern era now, and it's like Cap's a Hydra agent, it's like I don't care. <laughs> like he is right now. Like yeah. he won't be. Literally like, one year from now, he probably won't be. So it, it doesn't very, matter. Even if you're, even if you're not like I don't care, you're at least saying, well, this is a fun development sure. that will definitely be undone. Like everything is always undone. Yeah, and like committing them all to memory, not that important. Important. And if you, the biggest thing is like if you get into a, a, a status quo that you're like I'm not into this, you can just tap out. Yeah. And then when the new when new creative team comes out, like Daredevil, I read for like eight years straight. And then when it was Diggle and Shadowland and all that I stuff, left. I just left. And then yeah. when Wade took it back, like years later, eh, come back in, and it was fine. So yeah. like yeah, we really don't tend to keep it all in your head it's just but when you condense it all to a 20 minute like here's what happened it really sounds nuts now when you have you know even a long-running manga like one piece it is the same creator almost in all circumstances so they at least know where they want to go and there's they they have respect for their own story because they wrote it but there's all those restarts in comics too just because a new creative team always comes on and they don't want to recognize everything from the first time or even if they even if supposedly they liked what happened before they might want to just break from it and, and do something different and I think it should the background when you're reading a comic should matter as much to you as it matters to the writers when they do it. And I yeah. always think back to like every time a new Spider-Man writer came on and it was a new era of Spider-Man, they'd have a line where Spider-Man would say, well, then this just happened, but I'm moving past that or whatever. Like they will give you enough context in the first issue about what mattered from the last line yeah. and what matters. Now, a good first issue of, a, of an arc like that explains the status quo on yeah. some level. Because again, like I jumped in with Amazing in the middle of 300, early 300s and mm-hmm. just jumped in the middle of the, Eric, the post-Todd McFarlane getting into Eric Larson and like I was 10 years old and didn't need someone to explain 300 issues of Spider-Man to me. Like, yeah. the, like most of the prior 300 issues don't matter. 
Yeah. Only a handful do, and then when they you need to know them, Spider-Man would say, like, I haven't seen him since Mr. Black. And then yeah. you go, okay, so they've met before, I understand. And, like, with 300, you did need to know he had a black costume that was an alien, but he explains they that. Explain they that. give you a flashback. And page. you either go, alien costume, that doesn't make any sense, or you go, okay. Okay, it like, was an alien costume. You can I question wouldn't... it, or you can just go with it. Yeah. Uh, and so Tank has sent in an audio ask Hank. Let's give that a listen. Hey guys, it's Michael Plaskett, alias Satanga, and here's what I want to ask Hank. What's your opinion on Valiant Comics? My memory sucks, and I can't remember if Valiant has ever been brought up on the show before, but I barely hear anything about the imprint nowadays. All I know is that its premier hero, Exo uh, Manowar, start alongside Iron Man in a crappy game yep. called Heavy Metal, published by Acclaim. Now, I, I know very little about comics if they don't have movies, shows, or games attached to them, so I listen to Cape Crisis to get in on the knowledge that I've been missing. So if you have anything to say about Valiant Hank, I'd like to hear it, and if not, then I guess it's not worth learning about. Alright, thank you and peace. Moving on from Valiant Comics. Yeah, nothing to learn about. No, uh, I'll talk just a little bit about Valiant. That it was always like when I when I was a kid and Valiant was big again in the '90s during the '90s comic boom where everything yeah. was big again. If I had my allowance in my hand, I would buy a Marvel book. I'd buy an image. It would it was tiered. I'd buy something from Marvel. If there wasn't anything I was interested in Marvel that week, I'd get an image thing. Wasn't anything there, I'd get something DC. If that was if there was nothing interesting past that. That I might buy something like Ninjak or Exo Man of War or, no. or Plasma or any no. of those. Like, I just was never, they never were that appealing to me, the Valiant characters, back yeah. back in the 90s. When they, even though some of them predated Image, a lot of them just felt like Image wannabes. Did they, did Valiant, who published like random video game stuff? Was that so Valiant? So that takes you to the mid 90s where in 95, Acclaim thought it would be interesting to own a comic book company that would then publish comics based on their games. Right. Which, And I, they'd already been working with Valiant because Turok is a Valiant character. Mm-hmm. And so Acclaim, it became Acclaim Comics. Valiant became mm-hmm. Acclaim Comics very briefly. Mm-hmm. And that was the one time I read it even a little bit was when they rebooted Ninjak with, written by Kurt Busiek, who oh, was wow. one of my favorite writers. And he wrote it as just like, what if Peter Parker turned into a computer video game ninja instead of Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. And it was a clever start to it. it, it, it uh, Busiek left the book pretty quickly, probably because Acclaim were assholes. But, uh, but that's just guessing on my part. But yeah. Acclaim are real j- dicks. Other than that, I think uh, Quantum and Woody, I believe, was a Valiant book. But mm. it, uh, and I did read that. But that was almost like to the side of Valiant. Like, yeah, it's, right. qu- it's Quantum and Woody. It's not a Valiant comic. Mm. And I did read the first new issues of the recent Valiant reboot, reboot Ninjak. And it's nice. It's good. But it still is like, I'd, I would send you to say the Green Hornet reboot that Mark Wade wrote than the Ninjak reboot. Mm. It's still, it's not that every, there's so many great comics now. Valiant still does not get much of my attention. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to. We should be streaming at some point that Exo Man of War, Iron Man Whew. crossover game. Yeah, we probably should. One of the worst, and it's one of those terrible like. Oh, it's a PlayStation One game, but with like Donkey Kong Country C- yeah. CGI pre-rendered, pre-rendered sprites. Yeah, and ugh. it's ugly. So bad. And then the last question on Ask Hank is from Weirdo Sam. 
As someone who almost exclusively reads trades, I've recently got into picking up comics that have never been collected or and are unlikely to ever be. In doing so, I've come across the fantastic stuff like Steve Gerber's 1990 Fool Killer miniseries. Who, <laughs> that's a card we didn't understand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Keith Giffen's canceled 92 series The Heckler. And random arcs and one-shots from the original Batman Legends of the Dark Knight series. What are some of your favorite comic books that have never been canceled or that have never been collected and un- are unlikely to ever be? So for the longest time, my answer to this would have been Damage Control. Like mm. Damage Control was this great uncollected work. So goddamn funny. And it was never collected. Like I, in the late 90s, I just bought all the single issues at collector stores because I had to read them. But... Then it got collected last year. Every single damage control appearance written by the original creator were put in one book for 25 bucks. And mm. so I can't say that one. So the other one I'll go with is the Marvel's early 90s attempt at a comedy book with the superhero Slapstick. Oh, wow. Drawn in a very cartoony manner. Who He was brought back by Dan Slott in uh, the initiative book uh, post-Civil War. And I still think you'll see him pop up every now and then. But I don't know. I love this silly, like it was a Tex Avery cartoon superhero existing in a world of Marvel superheroes. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a cute early 90s attempt at a humor book. So yeah. that's, that's mine. I can't think of anything. Like yeah, I didn't, everything gets collected. Yeah, now. at this point, a lot of things I wanted like came back. Or if not collected, you'll find them digitally on Comicsology. Yeah, I was gonna say the Back to the Future comic series just because it's newish, but they've already collected that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This week's last week's question of the week question was: What is the worst comic book movie you've ever seen that you've actually seen? And uh, to the Matt Cave was the first replier. I'm going with to go with Electra. I bought it on DVD when it first came out, and about 20 minutes in, I realized I made a mistake. I stuck with it because I did pay for it, but by the end of the film, I was so bored, I couldn't even remember what happened in the beginning. Out of all the comic book movies, this was the most painful to try and get through. Mm. Well, Zap Rousedower says Catwoman. Yeah. The movie committed multiple crimes against cinema, but the basketball scene may be the worst. <laughs> Halle Berry won't be able to take her eyes off the basketball. She was dribbling it uh, if she had a gun to her head. I'm liking, I'm linking the scene. He put the scene below it in the forums. And would love it if you could tell just who the hell was clamoring for a Barry Brat Top Gun sports scene <laughs> in Catwoman. <sighs> it's real bad. Yeah, finally, basketball is sexy. <laughs> that's that's probably the worst one I've seen, to be honest. And they're doing it in front of children, too. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, but Electra I'll- was forgettable as hell, but, like, man, Catwoman was like, I can't believe you did this. Mm. And that, like, all their scenes in the office were shot the same day, even though they're supposed to take place, like, yeah. weeks apart. Because they wouldn't even change the costuming. And aren't so they supposed she... to be fashion-related? Like, Yeah, they're they a fashion, fashion magazine or something. That's yeah, where Patience yeah, like, Virtue works. Makeup and fashion. God, her name was, like, Patience, remember? I she couldn't I... even be Selena. It all was right. bad. So Tinka says, I'll give, I'll give the easiest and least original answer possible. Batman and Robin, which I saw only a year ago in full. The thing is, I actually thought Batman Forever wasn't bad. And I thought Schumacher's, Schumacher's sequel could at least be enjoyed ironically. Well, here's a piece of advice. If it looks like shit and everyone else tells you it's shit, then there's a pretty good chance that it's shit. Nonetheless, I threw on a blindfold and tried to pretend it was a chili cheese dog. <laughs> uh, I went... Oh, I get it now. That's it. That's it. Uh, I went about as well as Uma Thurman's poorly directed performance. I'll be sure to track down George Clooney and ask for my money back. 
And uh, Brandolph said, "I we said plenty about BVS, but I wanted to pick X-Men Origins Wolverine. A lot of X-Men movies from Fox just seem to be hit and miss, and this one was a disaster, thanks to the writer's strike back in the day. The main reason why I picked it is that while I don't remember 95% of the movie, the last fight scene between Wolverine and Sabretooth on that chimney as it burned down has been burned in my memory ever since i watched it leaving me questioning why the hell they are fighting there in the first place uh i have only watched it once and never planned to revisit it Ravenbaum said i must be old because i remember seeing judge dread with sly stallone in the theater yeah. the only part i remember liking in that movie is the sequence when max van Sydow takes the log walk and has only a shotgun and a duster as he walks into the wasteland alone to die it's actually a really good sequence, in large part because of the musical swell as the doors open to the wasteland. But that film is horrible. Judge Dredd is supposed to never take off his helmet, and he immediately yeah. takes it off. Yeah. And Rob Schneider is the worst actor ever. Now, no, but he's real bad. Wasn't like Taco Bell the national food in that movie? Or uh, you no, you're thinking of, of Demolition Man. Yeah, uh, Judge Dredd is just a burned out husk. They're they're yeah. very. <laughs> similar futuristic violence films of the early 90s starring Sly Stone, but yeah. uh, Demolition Man is slightly better. Not even, I'd <laughs> say 10, 20% better. And finally, Hitler, me this Batman with an audio reply. Hey, Cape Crisis, this is Matthew J. Button, me this Batman on the forums <laughs> uh, with another audio answer, which is the only kind of answer I can send in anymore, you know, since my hands were destroyed in a horrible drunk driving accident because of my hubris. That's uh, but it's Strange. cool because, you know, now I'm like on this mountain in Tibet uh, with <laughs> Tilda Swinton and she's teaching me how to do magic hmm. and stuff. So it's pretty good. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for me, you know, a new career line. Uh, anyway, the question of the week, the worst comic book movie I've ever seen is actually a TV show that aired on the WB in the early 2000s called Birds of Prey, oh. which I guess is related to the thing I sent in last week. Uh, but it was the worst show, and I watched every episode because I was 13, and it gave me boners. Thanks, guys. I could see that. <laughs> Absolutely, I could see that. But yeah, I was paying attention to it when it first came out because... It was like this weird Gotham future where Batman had to have existed, but they can't legally show him, or they're not allowed to show him on the show. And then they're like, and I love the Birds of Prey book. Like, yeah, Huntress, Oracle, uh, Black Canary, let's see him in a show. And it was yeah. so bad. Yeah, so my bad. Uh, my interest in Huntress was always pretty high, so I was like, come on, <laughs> come on. And I watched like one episode, no. And I think they, they made more than they aired, but uh, they I think it's one of those lost-to-time shows. Mm. So this week's question of the week for you guys, which we already uh, discussed, what comic book that you enjoy that has never been collected in a trade or reprinted would you like to see ah. get that honor? And uh, you can answer that in the forums. There'll be a link to it on this week's episode page, which you'll find on lasertimepodcast.com. It's a wonderful website you should visit every day and home to tons of great stuff like... Well, actually, this is what I would normally throw to Chris, but let me say, we did a wonderful laser time this week about cartoon mascots. And uh, like when Ecto Cooler's coming back, we mm -hmm. talk about a history of Flintstones, Pink Panther, all these types of guys representing a product beyond itself. Yeah. Delicious insulation. Mm. Yeah, for decades at a time to the point where you forget, like, <laughs> there is still a Donald Duck orange mm -hmm. juice, yes. and Donald Duck doesn't endorse anything. It's <laughs> incredible that that's yeah. still there. And the Simpsons have been a Butterfinger's butt since the mm -hmm. 80s. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, and there's also Talking Simpsons, our weekly exploration of every episode of The Simpsons from the beginning, halfway through season three now, and that's supported by Patreon.com slash LaserTime 
time where you can get access to the entire first season of the show, as well as cool things like the comic book cartoon commentary. If you pay $10 or more, you can watch along with me, Brett, and Chris as we see Harley Quinn's first ever appearance in the episode Joker's Favor of Batman the Animated Series. And did somebody say video games? I don't think anybody did, but uh, that's my, my, my common throw now to... A cheap podcast, pro wrestling podcast. Every week we do a live show on Twitch every Thursday at 3 p.m. Uh, WWE 2K16 is playing in the background while we uh, talk about this week's wrestling matches and uh, other sort of news. But we also do fantasy fights, uh, which more often than not include comic book characters. Like we did a Royal Rumble with X-Men characters. We did uh, Batman versus Superman. Ton of fun. Uh, Ninja Turtles four-way match. Great stuff. Great, great stuff. And there's 30, 20, 10. Brett, what was on this week's? Uh, well, as this week, we look back every uh, every week, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. The episode that just posted this week, uh, Cars, Pixar's Cars is 10 years old. That's a decade old now. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Cars. 20 years ago was The Rock with uh, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Woo. Also The Phantom to tie back to comics and comic strips with Billy Zane. And 30 years ago, I'm trying to remember what movie or whatever we talked about. Oh, The not Droid. Show. That's oh, wow. th- That's still Whoops. The- 30 years ago, Henry. <laughs> that's not what happened. That's 86. Sorry. But instead, though, uh, we did talk about uh, in the 80s this week, The Droids cartoon finished yes. its second season, and uh, so a Schwarzenegger movie, Raw Deal, that we totally forgot about. And I talk a lot about a uh, comic book uh, series, a manga series, my yeah, mind, yeah, that yeah. is a real favorite that got an anime in 1986. Yep. yep. Uh, but yeah, check those out. 302010, you can find it on iTunes, on Wondery.com. I'm sure you can Google that or something. Uh, but uh, Or on LazyTimePodcast.com. So many great things that we're doing. I hope you guys all appreciate it, you know, and enjoy it uh, while you can. Uh, hey, in unrelated news, next week <laughs> might be a pretty interesting episode. We shall see. Uh, but until next time, Excelsior! Excelsior!